Good morning, good morning, good morning. How are we today? Is anybody missing that hour? I know I am. Left my kids home. Those jokers are still sleeping. If you need a Bible, uh, we have uh, Sister Astrid and Brother Levine who are coming down the aisle. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand with Sister Lavonda here. Um, just raise your hand and they will give you a Bible. All right. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Tim, one of the, the pastors here. Um, so I'm not Pastor T. So what that means is we are not going to be preaching through Leviticus today. And so as we have those smiles on our face and we're kind of leaving Leviticus, we're going to go back to one of the longest running sermon series in the history of ARC. One of these series that we started all the way back at the beginning of 2022 called What Does the Bible Teach? So if you guys remember when we were coming out of pandemic, we were starting to meet together again as a congregation in person. One thing that we wanted to do as pastors, realizing that our congregation was looking different from when we entered the pandemic to when we were coming out and meeting back in person, we wanted to lay some basic, some basic foundational truths of the Christian faith. And so if you recall, we preached through the five ends as we normally do at the beginning of 2022. We then preached a series on the pastor and people. Then we preached through our church covenant, right? So we wanted to make sure that everybody who was in covenant together had a common understanding of what it meant to be a member of ARC. Then we started the series that we're gonna to continue today called What Does the Bible Teach? So we started by teaching on what does the Bible teach about the Bible? Uh, then we went to what does the Bible teach about God? I think our brother Colin uh, was able to share a word on that. We talk about man, we talk about Jesus. And today we're gonna to ask and answer the question, what does the Bible teach about the Holy Spirit? And so I want to thank the uh, the praise team, the worship team for leading us this morning and singing, leading us in song about the Holy Spirit, about how he lives inside of us, how we usher him into this space, because that's very important for what we're going to talk about today. Now, as you can imagine, the Bible says a lot about the Holy Spirit. And so rather than keep us here for five hours, I want to take a very focused, targeted approach to answering what does the Bible teach? And I want to answer it in this way. My knowledge of who the Holy Spirit is and how he works in redemption is necessary for godly living. So my knowledge of who he is and how he works is critical if I am to live the life that God wants me to live. And so we're going to break that down in two questions. One, who is the Holy Spirit? And then number two, how does he work in redemption to bring about my sanctification? So number one, who is the Holy Spirit? So the short answer is the Holy Spirit is God. Fully God, nothing less than God, all God when he shows up. And we also say that he's the third person in the Trinity. Now, the word Trinity is not a word that you're going to find in the Bible. You can search it all day long and you won't find it because it's not there. But that word Trinity is used to summarize three biblical truths about what the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. Number one, the Trinity said that God exists eternally as three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Number two, it says that each one of those persons is fully God. And then number three, there's one God, not three. So number one, God exists as three persons. So we say that God exists as a person because the Bible describes God in personal terms in a similar way that he describes man in personal terms, which makes complete sense because since we are made in his image, we reflect the ones in whose image we're made. 
And so when you look at the Bible and we think about the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that he grieves in Ephesians 4. We grieve as well. The Bible says that God, that God the Holy Spirit, cries out in, the, in Galatians 4, 6. It says that he speaks in Mark 13, 11. The Bible says that God, the Holy Spirit, has a mind. We see that in Romans 8, 27. So that's why we say that God is, exists in three persons. And we also say he exists in three persons to distinguish each person from the other. So the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father. The Father is not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not the Father. They're each distinct persons in the Trinity. I think we can see that very clearly in John chapter 1, where we're told that in the beginning, the Word was with God, and then the Word was God, and how the Word came down and became flesh. So that's talking about how Jesus and the Father are both God. But we also see that in Matthew 3, at the baptism of Christ himself, we see that God the Father is speaking. We see that the Spirit descends like a dove, and then we see Jesus himself being baptized. So all members of the Trinity are present and accounting for, which means that they are distinct in their personhood. We also say that they're persons because it distinguishes. Yeah, you saw that, Tano? You like that? So I'm actually dressed for today's topic. Uh, but it says that he dis we distinguish him how God in three persons works in the world. So as one God that we'll talk about in a second, they always work together, right? So when we see God working in creation, they work together. As we're going to talk about later, when God works in redemption, he works together because he's one God. But as three persons, when they work, they work differently according to the person that they are. So in, in creation, the Father works by speaking. In creation, we see in Genesis 1 that the Spirit is hovering in an intimate way over the face of the waters. And then when we read Colossians 1, we see that it's actually Christ who does the actual creating. So all three are working in creation, but they're all working differently because they're distinct and separate persons. And so we'll talk about redemption a little bit later. But number one, God exists in three persons. Number two, each person of the Trinity is fully God. So the Bible says that the Father is fully God. Jesus is fully God. Again, we see that clearly in John 1, but the Holy Spirit is also fully God. We see that clearly in Acts chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, when Ananias, when he, they sell their property and they come and they withhold some of their proceeds. And the disciples say that you have lied to the Holy Spirit. And then a few verses later, we're told that he's lied to God. So lying to the Holy Spirit and lying to God are the same thing because the Holy Spirit is fully God. They also share in, equally in the divine attributes. So they're equal in power and glory. So the Holy Spirit is eternal. We see that in Hebrews 9, but only God is eternal. But that makes sense because the Holy Spirit is God. We know that the Holy Spirit is omnipresent, meaning he knows all things. We see that in Psalm 139. We also know that he's, um, I'm sorry, he's omnipresent. He's everywhere. He's all-knowing. He knows everything. We see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. So God exists in three persons. Each one of those persons is fully God. But the mistake that we might make is to think that we have three gods, but we don't. We have one God. And that's the third tenet of the Trinity, that yes, God exists in three persons. And yes, each person is fully God, but we serve one God. So in the Bible, in Deuteronomy 6, chapter 4, as Moses is addressing the Israelites, he declares to them that the Lord our God is one. In the New Testament, Paul in 1 Timothy 2, 5, and also in Romans 3, 30, declares that God is one. 
And then in James 2.19, that James is writing about faith and works and how those two things have to work together. He said, you believe God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. So as one God, all three persons work together. Always when they work, when the father is working, the son is working and the, son, and the Holy Spirit is working. They work together, but as three distinct persons, they work differently. So that's the Trinity. Now, the question is, does that matter? Is it enough to know that the God exists one in three, like my sweatshirt says? Even if I don't completely understand it, because I'll be honest, it is hard to understand how there can be three persons and yet one God. Why are there not three guys? So we say that he is one in his essence or one in his being as he exists in himself. But as he works in the world, he is three in persons. And the Bible says it does matter because knowing more about God is necessary for my godly living. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Colossians 1, and we're just going to read verses 9 and 10. So Colossians 1, verses 9 and 10. And if you turn there, you'll find these words. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, Paul, he's never he's never met these saints, so, but he's heard, as we're told in verse nine, that they have come to faith in Christ. And since he's heard that they've come to faith, he has not stopped praying for them. And nobody prays for it. He is praying that they know God's will. Not so that they can have a, a big house or lots of land and livestock, although those would be great things, and that may be part of their will or God's will for their life, but he is primarily praying that they would know his will so that they could walk worthy and please God. And then Paul goes on to let us know what that looks like. It looks like bearing fruit in every good work and the knowledge of God. So if I want to live a life that's pleasing to God, if I want to live a life that's worthy of the Lord, I must increase in my knowledge of God. So knowing that God is one in three, knowing that the Holy Spirit is one of those three persons in the Trinity, is not just head knowledge. It's not just something that I would go to a seminary class and take or read an article online. I need it to combine it with the good works that I do. That knowledge that I have of God the knowledge of the Trinity, it has to, uh, it has to uh, be present with and inform my good works. Because if I have one without the other, then I'm not pleasing God. Both are required if I ever want to please God. So knowing this, that I have to have good works and bearing fruit in them, and I have to have the knowledge of God, that gives context, meaning, and purpose and direction to my Bible study. So when I'm reading the Bible, if I knew the Bible from front to cover and everything in the middle, that alone, God says, is not pleasing to him. If that is detached from a life that pleases God, so if on the one hand, I'm reading faithfully every single day, Bible in a year, but on the other hand, I'm living in a way that doesn't please God, he's not happy with that. And at the same time, if my good deeds are separate than my knowledge of God, if they're not being informed by God, then they're actually self, selfish works that I'm doing to try to please myself or please other people. The good works that I do, they have to be informed by who God is. 
So knowing that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity matters, but it's only half the battle. So I don't know if any G- people used to watch G.I. Joe growing up, but at the end of G.I. Joe, any G.I. Joe fans? Is there one? I'm going to test you. All right, Miss Carol, what did they say at the end of every show? They would say, now I know, and they would say what? Anybody? And knowing is half the battle. So at the end of every show, knowing was only half the battle. So that's true in G.I. Joe, but that's also true in our Christian living. For me to only know the Trinity and not live it out in good works and bearing fruit, it's only half the battle. So understanding how the Spirit works in redemption to sanctify me so that I bear fruit completes that picture. So then the question is, how does the Holy Spirit, God the Holy Spirit, work in redemption? But before we answer that question, we have to keep in mind that God is one. So whenever God works, all three persons of the Trinity are working together. So before the Holy Spirit is working, we have to ask, what is the Father doing in redemption? And when I say redemption, I'm talking about how sinful humanity is restored to life and right relationship with God. So number one, the Father, he actually designs the whole thing. We see that clearly in Ephesians 1, verses 3 to 14. So he designs redemption, and then he appoints those who will be saved. And we're told that he does this from the foundation of the world. So it is God the Father who designs redemption, and it's God the Father who appoints us to one day be saved. But then after that, the Son accomplishes what God has designed, as the Father sends him into the world to live a sinless life. Right? So we're told that Christ knew no sin when he lived on this earth, but yet he was crucified on the cross. And we know this from what we've been doing through Leviticus, this was a substitution. So Christ was on the cross, taking on the righteous wrath of God for the sin that we committed, not for what he did, but for what we did. And then three days later, the Bible says that he was resurrected. So the Bible says that Christ purchased our salvation with his own blood. So the Father designed it, the Son accomplished it. But without the work of the Holy Spirit, that means nothing to my life. I'm trying to reach for it, but I can't. The Holy Spirit is the one that applies to my life what the Son has accomplished. As John 14 says, as the Father and as the Son sent him into the world. So it's the Holy Spirit that regenerates me. It's the Holy Spirit that John 3 says, it gives me new life. Right. So we say that we are born again and we're born again only by what God, the Holy Spirit, does in our life. So before I'm born again, before he gives me this new life that Ephesians 2 talks about, I'm at enmity with God. I'm an enemy of God. I do not want to do godly things. I actually want to do anti-godly things. That is who we all are before the Holy Spirit comes and regenerates us. He gives us new life. And once he does that, then and only then can I respond to the gospel with repentance and faith. But prior to that, even though Christ has gone to the cross, it doesn't mean anything to me personally. It's not been applied to my life. It's only when he regenerates me that he gives me this new life that I can now turn in repentance of my sin and put my faith in Christ. And then after that, after I'm regenerated, after I come to faith in Christ, the Bible says that God, the Holy Spirit, then lives within me. So in John 14, when when Jesus is with his disciples before he goes to the cross, he tells them that he is going to the Father, but he's going to send the Holy Spirit. And he says that you know him because he's been with you, but he will be in you. 
So Christ is Emmanuel, God with us, but the Holy Spirit is God in us. So the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us, to make his residence in us. And the Bible says that he not only lives in us, but he seals us. So Ephesians 1, 13 and 14 says that we have been sealed by the precious Holy Spirit until the day of redemption, guaranteeing that which is to come. So what that means is that when the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of me, the Bible says that he seals me. It's God's down payment that I will be saved. That means I have assurance. I have security that, yes, I'm going to sin and, yes, I'm going to mess up. But if I am truly in God, family, we've been sealed. My salvation is secure until the day that Christ returns to come and get me. So not only does he regenerate me, not only does he live inside of me, but he seals me. And then the Bible said that he sanctifies me. So what that means is he conforms me to the image of his son. So when I come to faith in Christ, I'm justified. I am declared righteous. But I still don't look that good in in actuality. What the Holy Spirit does as he comes and works in my life from the inside out is he actually conforms me to the image of Christ. And he does that by taking residence in my life. So what I want to do is I want to look at two ways that God, the Holy Spirit, conforms me to the image of his son. Two ways that he sanctifies me so that I can bear fruit so I get that second half of the picture that we saw in Colossians. So I now I'm an expert in the Trinity, even though I don't completely understand it. I know exactly what it is. And now, now that the Holy Spirit is living inside of me, he's going to sanctify me. And he's going to do that by keeping me from sinning. And he's going to do that by leading me so that I walk in the spirit and bear fruit. So one of the ways that he keeps me from sinning, and I think we were actually singing about this earlier, is that he stops me from sinning by reminding me that he lives inside of me. So I used to work in an office about three years ago. I haven't been to an office since. Love working from home. But I used to be in an office. And I'll be honest, sometimes I would surf the internet. And every time I heard my boss coming through, what did I do? Alt-tab, right? I, I had make sure I had my computer screen up. Then I'm checking CNN, checking ESPN. I hear my boss alt-tab, right? When I was a kid, I'm sure none of you guys did this. But if I was watching something like on TV that I shouldn't be watching, like Jerry Springer, right? So he used to come on, I think, 2 or 2.30. Thank God that he delivered me. By watching Jerry Springer or watching Maury and saying who the father, whatever it is, right? When you hear those keys in the door and you know that's mom or dad, right? You turn it. So knowing that they were there got me to stand up straight, at least until they left, right? But the Holy Spirit, who lives inside of me, he doesn't leave. And so what the Bible says in uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 18 and 19 is that the very presence of the Holy Spirit should have my life living differently, that I should not be sinning knowing that he lives inside of me. So 1 Corinthians 6, 18 through 19 says this, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. So Paul starts off saying free from sexual immorality. 
And this idea of sexual morality used in the Bible is everything that we wouldn't find in what God would ordain and approve of sexual activity. So I like to think of it as a champagne glass, right? Really pretty, full of bubbles that a husband and wife sip from every time they want to celebrate their union that God has blessed them with in sexual activity, right? So that's that champagne glass that a husband and wife sip from. Everything else, and I mean everything else, is in this big old grimy looking bucket with the word sexual immorality on it. So when we read through the Bible, at times we're given a representative list, but it's never exhaustive. But just think, if it's not the champagne glass of celebration, everything else is in this grimy bucket called sexual immorality. So if it's virtually things I do on my computer or my TV or my phone, it could be things I actually do in the flesh physically, whether it's same sex, opposite sex, whether it's solo, whatever I do with my hands, my mouth, my eyes, anything, all that that's not ordained by God with a husband and wife, it's all in this bucket of sexual morality. And what Paul is saying is that the very thought of knowing that the Holy Spirit lives inside of me should keep me from doing anything that's sexually immoral. The Bible says we should flee. And so this morning, you probably didn't think your pastor would ask you this, but how is your sex life? Are you drinking from the champagne glass or are you dipping from this grimy looking bucket called sexual immorality? But if you are Christ, if you are saved and the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, the very knowledge of that should have both you and I fleeing as quick as we can, as soon as we can, and as strong as we can. The very fact that the Holy God in the presence of the Holy Spirit is in me should make me want to flee from sin. So that's what we see in 1 Corinthians about sexual morality. But Paul, then he broadens the scope. In Ephesians, he adds a whole list of things. And he says that we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit that we have been given. So this morning, family, let us focus on the presence, as we were singing earlier, the presence of God living in my life in the person of God, the Holy Spirit. And as we focus on that, let that and that alone, knowing that he's in me, knowing that the Father has appointed me to salvation, knowing that the Son has accomplished my salvation, and knowing that the Spirit has applied it to my life and has set up shop within me, let that keep me from sinning. So that's number one. That's one way that the Bible tells us the Holy Spirit works in sanctification by keeping me from sin. But then number two, that's kind of a negative. This is things that I don't do. But then when the Holy Spirit is in me, he actually leads me to do things that he wants me to do. And so he does that with what the Bible says, by filling me with the Holy Spirit. Now, this idea of being full of the Holy Spirit, it's not that I have more of him today than I had yesterday. So it's not like yesterday I had 20% of the Holy Spirit, and then today I got 30%. And tomorrow I got 40 and I see myself being full of the Holy Spirit. It's not like that at all. It's not that I have more of him because he's already in me. He's already living in me. He's already sealed me. I have all of the Holy Spirit that I will ever need and ever want. So what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit is that not that I have more of him, but he is more of me. As I am leaning in and being led by the Spirit, I am now full of the Spirit. So it's more about the quality of my life as opposed to the quantity of the Spirit. 
So I think a perfect example of this is where Pastor Bob Tunde, I don't know where he is. Earlier, he wanted to take us back into Galatians 5.16. I actually want to take us back up to Galatians 5.13 and look at the fruit of the Spirit in its context. Because when we do that, we're going to see a lot of things. So one, I think when we traditionally, as we hear about the fruit of the Spirit, we kind of hear just from those verses that talk, I think, at verse uh, 16. And when we do that, we miss the full context. So as we start at verse 13 of Galatians 5, what we're told is that this is all about neighbor love. Uh, Paul encouraged them, the Galatians, to use their freedom that Christ has given them to serve one another. And then he says the entire law can be summed up by loving your neighbor as yourself. So in the, in the gospel, Jesus said it's two. In Galatians, Paul says it's one. Paul's not contradicting what his Lord has said. What he's letting us know is that I can't truly serve my Lord unless I serve my brother and sister first. So it's how I love my neighbor as myself that I love my God. And in the context of that, we get the fruit of the Spirit. So the fruit of the Spirit is not so I can be this lone ranger Christian off here, flexing my joy and my love and my peace and my long suffering. It's given to me so that I can live in community with you and you and you. And even you, Celeste, even though you came late. So I can live in community. I saw you walk in. Come on. Huh? So in Galatians 5, as we're told to walk by the Spirit and be led by the Spirit, we told that when we do that, I don't give into the desires of the flesh. So what Paul is encouraging us to do by leaning in and being led by the Spirit is that a good offense is better than a good defense. Now, this being walking by the Spirit and being led by the Spirit can be subjective and it can be objective. So I know we get a little, little squishy and squirrely when we start talking about the subjective leading of the Holy Spirit, but he does work that way. So there are times when I have urges to maybe call someone or I just may feel like blessing Peter with $100, right? I may just have that feeling. Or maybe he wants to bless me with 1000 right? So Peter, give, give in to that feeling, right? So I have these feelings. I hear these urges. I hear this small voice speaking to me. This is what is actually in view when, we, when, the, when in Ephesians 5, it says we're led by the Spirit and the desires of the Spirit. I think this is really this intimate way. If we're in tune with the Spirit, then I'm letting him lead me. I'm letting him guide me as, as I would let somebody guide me and walk me down a path. But it can also be objective. So one of the things that the Holy Spirit actually does, if we go back to, I think it's John 14 through 15, is that the Holy Spirit will lead us into all truth. So what the Holy Spirit will do as he takes residence in my life is he will make alive the word of God. He will illuminate it to me so that when I read it, I actually understand it. It actually makes sense. I actually want to do it. So there's this subjective leading and there's also this objective leading. And if those things are ever opposed, right? So if I think I had the subjective urge and it may be the Holy Spirit, but if that's in contradiction to his word, that's not the Holy Spirit, right? So in John 17, when Christ is given his, what we call his high priestly prayer, prayer rather, he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is true. So if we hear or we feel these urges, maybe cause someone or do something for someone, if in any way, shape or form, that's not in line with God's word, that's not the Holy Spirit. But if it's not contradicting the Holy Spirit, there's nothing says that we can't go along with that urge or that feeling for Peter to give me a thousand dollars, right? 
This is how that we are told to live in community. And when we le- lean in to being led by the Holy Spirit, we're told the Holy Spirit then will produce fruit in my life. As I let him lead me, he will produce in my life through the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me, love and joy and peace and gentleness and long-suffering, all those things. And again, it's not just for me. I need long-suffering to deal with Tommy because sometimes Tommy gets on my nerves, right? And that's why I need that long-suffering. You know I love you, Tommy. But that's why I need it, so that I can live in community, so that I can serve each other better, and I can love you as I love myself. So when we're led by the Spirit, the Spirit will produce this fruit in my life. So then the question is, as I desire to live a spirit-filled life, being led by the Holy Spirit, how can I serve you better? How can I love you better? And as I'm doing that, that's what, from Galatians 5, is an example of how he's leading me to live in community, to lean in, to doing things, right? So we, I love it when people send out a request for something and someone responds and says, need met, right? We're serving one another. That's a very practical way that we are led by the Spirit. The other day I was driving down going to Panera. Most people now go to Panera every single day. And Christian and Angela Wishing just popped into my mind like that. I called them right away. I, I believe that's the Holy Spirit that was walking with me, leading me to reach out and call my fellow brother and sister in Christ. So when we get those urges, when we get those feelings, even though they are subjective, let's not fight that. Let's lean into it. Because that might be the Holy Spirit leading us in a way where we can now have him produce this fruit in us so that we can live in community. Amen? So the Holy Spirit, he's one with the Father and the Son because he's God. But he's the third person of the Trinity, so he works a little different. They all work together in redemption, but the Son works uniquely. He applies to us what Christ has accomplished. So you may be here today and you've heard this gospel message, how it is the Father who appointed us to salvation, how it is the Son who accomplished it, how he purchased it with his own blood. On the cross, Colossians said, he nailed our sins to the cross. He took upon himself the holy and righteous wrath of God. If that's making sense for you today, like it never has before, that's because the God, the Holy Spirit, has given you new life. He has regenerated you through the hearing of the gospel. And so if that is you today, and if you have never repented of your sins, which means to turn from them, and if you have never put your faith in Christ, let me encourage you to do that today. This same God who exists in three persons wants to apply what Christ has accomplished to your life. He wants to make your body his home. He wants to live inside of you. He wants to steal you. He wants to sanctify you so that you look more and more like his son. So if that's you here today, all you got to do is cry out to him. Turn from your sins and put your faith in what Christ has done, and you will be saved. And so final thought, according to Colossians 1, I want to know more and more about God. So I want to know about the Trinity. But that has to be partnered with good works and bearing fruit in those good works. And that can only come as I'm being sanctified through the Holy Spirit, as I'm looking more and more like Christ. So I take the knowledge that I have, I combine it with the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit, 
And then and only then can I live a life that is worthy of the Lord and pleasing to God. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father, Lord, again, we do thank you for your word, for it is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you for in the pages of scripture, we find out that you are one God, but yet you exist in three persons. By reading your word, Lord God, we find out that it is the Holy Spirit who has applied what you designed and what Christ has accomplished to our lives. And so this morning, we give you praise and we give you thanks for the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of us. Father, may we be more aware, as we were singing earlier, about the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. May we not think when we're living and when we're acting that we're doing so without him. May the very thought that the Holy Spirit lives in me, may that keep me from sin, not just sexual morality, but any sin. And Father, then as I'm being kept from sin, may I lean in to being led by you, so that I am walking in the Spirit and producing the fruit of the Spirit so that I can live in community with my brother and sister. So we thank you for your word, Father God. We ask that you would take it and seal it to our hearts. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen.